everyone. I'm Deb Hastings. I direct continuing nursing education here at Dr. Hitchcock. And we're pretty excited about our, um, our session today. So thank you for joining us. Um, I also want to welcome anyone who is viewing the session online. And we're also recording the program. So again, if you're watching this live and have questions, Judy's monitoring her email. Feel free to email her. You have her uh, email address, judith.m.langhans at hitchcock.org, and she will relay the question or comment to our speaker. Um, if you are a nurse, you must attend at least 80% of this program to receive one contact hour. And neither our speaker nor anyone on the planning committee has identified any type of conflict of interest regarding this activity, and no one refused to disclose. So today's program is entitled, Building the Future of Nursing Education in Developing Countries. Next C, and we're going to do, this is a bit of a case study, but we'll, it's mostly storytelling. Yes. Um, so our learning outcome for today, because nurses need learning outcomes, and others <laughs> need learning outcomes, those who I think there's at least one person here who's not a nurse. Um, at the conclusion of this learning activity, you should be able to discuss the model that is used by NEXI that supports the collaboration of nurses from high and low resource healthcare settings to achieve positive, innovative changes in nursing practice in Haiti. And actually, there's another person who's not a nurse here, but she's loved by nurses. And that's our speaker for today, Dr. Barbara Lee Toffler. Lay. Lay. Oh, Lay. How did I know? I've known that wrong for all these years. Dr. Barbara Lay, and that makes sense because it's L-E-Y. Sorry. So Barbara Lay Toffler, PhD, is the Executive Director for the Nursing Education Collaborative for Haiti. And she's going to tell you a little bit more about her role, but I also want to share with you um, some information of, of, about one of our colleagues who's in Haiti right now who so tried to get here to zoom in, but we're not able to get her to zoom in, but she's watching us. Is she? Is, we, yeah, we believe she's, she's watching us. So Hi, Claudia. I, I want to tell you a little bit about Claudia, and we can all wave to Claudia, but um, she is a master's prepared nurse who practices in Haiti. And she grew up, she was born in Haiti and then moved to Montreal and spent several years in Montreal. I think she, her uh, nursing education is from Montreal. Yes. But quite a few years ago now, she went back to Haiti to work among um, nurses down there and really help them um, to improve their practice, but also to um, provide her expertise at the point of care in Haiti. Um, she's the newly named executive director of, um, we affectionately call uh, this organization NEXI, but that stands for the Nursing Education Collaborative in Haiti. And that's N-E-C-H, and the C-I-E-H is the French version. Cooperative des infirmières en education pour Haiti. Right? Awesome. Yeah. Right? She's, you've done really well with your French. Oh. Um, um, so she has also been recently named an Ashoka Fellow, and I want to tell you a little bit about that. Ashoka Fellows are among the world's leading social entrepreneurs, and they champion innovative new ideas that transform society systems, providing benefits for everyone and improving the lives of millions of people. In Claudia's case, she played an important role in leading an organization designed by nurses for nurses in areas in which nurses had been absent. So she's really been the, the person on the ground leading the work. 
Um, so again, and I know Barb's going to talk a little bit about this, but the great thing about Nexi is that we take our directive from nurses in Haiti. We don't tell them what they need, they tell us what they need, and then we work with them to make it happen. Um, so just as a quick example, and again, I know you're going to talk about this, um, but when we teach nurses hand washing in Haiti, and there's a, been a big initiative with hand washing in Haiti, we at Dartmouth-Hitchcock don't really have to worry about clean water, right? We got it. Just go to the sink and wash your hands. But in Haiti, they may or may not have water, and it may or may not be clean. So again, taking, uh, listening to what their needs are and trying to operationalize that with Barb as our lead in the States, and we also have colleagues in Canada as well as in Haiti, they developed a plan to help enhance um, the opportunities for hand washing in Haiti. Um, I also want to tell you that this started several years ago, and we at Dartmouth-Hitchcock, several nurses at Dartmouth-Hitchcock were part of that. Um, and we tried to support Bob's work, and others. Claudia has been here. Bob has been here now for several years, uh, in and out of um, uh, Dartmouth-Hitchcock. And really, uh, we've been privileged to be updated on the work that she and others have done. We, several people in this room have been to Haiti, in addition to Barb, and including you, me, <laughs> Patty, and our newest colleague, Dawn, over here, who is a faculty member at Plymouth State uh, uh, School of Nursing, and she was there with a different group, and just today, very serendipitously, she was able to connect with Barb. So again, has anybody else been to Haiti that I don't know? I'll we'll get you all there so eventually. So this is an opportunity. Bob doesn't use PowerPoint. So this is an opportunity to have a discussion about what's going on down there, where we came from, where we're going. We want it to be interactive. Um, I have some cards for Barb and also for <clears throat> one of our former DH nurses who remains a colleague but is now working uh, in Vermont but is on, remains on the board of Nexi. Um, some of you may remember Sandy Soho. So she remains on the board, and if you have any questions after this, we can share inf contact information, or Barb will be around, um, yeah. and you can chat with her. So is that a good introduction? We, we talked about say, how you we <laughs> talked about we had dinner last time. How 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 do we set this up? So was that that is All fabulous, right. and so. I really just do want to talk. No PowerPoint, no presentation. As I said, we have, Claudia put this together, um, sent it to me, but it gives you the basics. You don't need me or anyone to go through and tell you vision and mission statements. We, <laughs> we have them. What? We have them. Well, we have them, you, and you have them here, but that's, that is fine. Um, it is so great for me to be back here at Dartmouth-Hitchcock, and I have family uh, who were neighbors of Judy's, as it turns out. I didn't even realize that. So it's just great to be, to be here, and Deb has been down with us, and um, Patty... She was a bit younger and a little more carefree back in those days when she was a graduate student, but she came down with us. Let me just tell you a little bit. My background, as I said, I am not a nurse. Uh, if I were younger, I will tell you this whole experience would be sending me back to nursing school because I have learned so much and have, I mean, I've always had great respect for nurses, but... I'm just wowed, and I wish I could be doing this. 
I got involved with Nexi uh, as a retirement activity, and I hadn't really, I have a degree in something called organizational behavior, which is an interdisciplinary, interdisciplinary degree, kind of social psychology and sociology. Um, I taught at a lot of business schools. I taught at the Harvard Business School, a couple of others, uh, and I taught organizational behavior. Um, but I had done my dissertation back a million years ago in the 70s about what were then called new health practitioners, nurse practitioners and PAs. And I was fascinated and I expected to be working in that area. Uh, and uh, I, so I, I didn't because there was sort of no job available for somebody strange like the few of us in my cohort. And departments like mine don't exist anymore. We were called administrative sciences. Doesn't exist. Um, but when I retired, I said I want to get back with, into healthcare. And I love, you know, I've watched nurse practitioners develop. Uh, you know, they were kind of, um, you know, PAs who, from my perspective, I'm not going to get into a discussion about this, have not developed the way nurse practitioners have, which is what I had hoped in 1976 when I started working on, on this. Uh, so, by chance, a friend introduced me to someone who was a doctor who was doing some work on continuing education for doctors in Haiti. And I said, well, what can I do? She said, well, we were thinking about getting involved with nurses. So she introduced me to three nurses, Claudia in Haiti, a nurse named Jody Tuck at uh, McGill in Montreal, and Sandy Soho at Dartmouth. And in those days, which was December 2012, Dartmouth had significant global health pro program. Uh, Sandy had one full day a week that she was allowed to devote to global health. So on December 17, 2012, the four of us had a conversation on uh, a video, con video conference conversation, and we started to work together. It was just an incredible meshing. Um, and all those people on the board, Jody just had to resign from the board because of some other things. But we, <coughs> we started talking and we started delivering, <coughs> excuse me, video conference lectures. And then we, uh, well, I actually, I, well, I don't really have time to go into these details. Uh, I had a chance to talk to a local foundation called the Puffin Foundation in Teaneck, New Jersey, which is where I live, and I told them about what we were doing. And um, I said, you know, it'd be really neat if maybe you could give us four or $5,000. And the executive director said, well, how about we start with 10000 uh, I said, great. Uh, I should say that by this time, uh, the Puffin has supported us to up to about $250,000, and they have made it possible for Nexi to thrive. Uh, we, in 2000, 
13, we decided to go out on our own, and as of December 2014, we're a 501c3 organization, and we are <laughs> devoted to helping nurses in Haiti become what we've called the transformational leaders of healthcare in Haiti. The nurses, like everywhere, the nurses in Haiti are extraordinary, and the kind of conditions they work under are mind-blowing. My first visit to Haiti um, in this guise, I had visited many, many years ago as a tourist, but I was in March of 2013, and the first place I was taken to was General Hospital, which is the major government hospital and one of the poorest. And it took my breath away. I had never seen, first of all, I know this is common. Many of you who've worked in global health areas know this. But I, I guess I'd heard it, but I didn't really see what it meant that families give bedside care. Nurses don't give bedside care. Nurses more often are, they give medicine, but the family has to pay for the medicine before it is given to the patient. You don't, and often the family has to go to the dispensary, buy the medicine, give it to the nurse, the nurse then administers it. But you see patients in beds with all kinds of family members around them, blankets and sheets and pillows from home. There's, I mean, there's, Hygiene is almost non-existent. When I went into this hospital, I saw some people had what I would call live IVs, but there were poles with dried out bags hanging from them. There were people hooked up to an IV that had been empty for I don't know how long. Uh, the food that is eaten is brought by the family members. You understand there is no control of, there's no sterility, <laughs> nothing is sterile, nothing is controlled, and to the nurses and doctors down there, it is, that's the way it is. Um, so what got me thinking about other things was, it. Uh, I know so many hospitals, and Dartmouth is not one. Dartmouth people go down, Dr. Peter Wright, uh, Alice Rebell, I... Just, there's so many people from here who go down, but I keep hearing about hospital right in my hometown that's connected to Sacré-Cœur Hospital in Milo in Haiti. They're so proud. We brought three Haitian nurses up and put them through our nursing school. Well, you know, great. What, that, that's, they're going to go back there, and I'm not sure what they're going to do after they've been in a modern medical center when they don't have three quarters or more, seven eighths of what you what you have up here. But we were fortunate that all of us went down, we met Claudia, and we discovered that one, we were a wonderful team for working together. Everybody brought different, you know, what you hope is a team. We are all, you'll pardon me, but we are all women. <laughs> we are uh, and I rarely see a man. Um, I have met one male nurse in six years in Haiti, um, just at one, at one lecture. Uh, but 
we, uh, Claudia had this idea that we shouldn't just be giving lectures. I mean, and now with YouTube, I mean, you can do a lecture any place and just stick it up on YouTube. We don't need to go on a video conference. But she has always believed, one, that nurses don't get enough respect, and two, that nurses should be leading healthcare. In Haiti, most people see a doctor, whatever their, whatever their illness or injury may be, see a doctor every three months. Their care in between is left to nurses. Now, in fact, nurses can't prescribe a new medication, but they can renew prescriptions of medications that exist because there just aren't enough doctors or they're not involved the way the nurses are. And the nurses are deeply involved. They really, they recognize that they are the mainstay for any help. So our idea was to, what Claudia's idea, I really have to say, and that's why she won this Ashoka Fellowship, which is essentially a lifelong recognition that puts her in touch and in the company with various institutions and people who will be able to help support Nexi, hopefully through the future. But her idea was that nurses should be leading healthcare. They have the qualities, the characteristics, the traits that will make them better. And then we had to start thinking about uh, what kind of programs, what were we going to do? Uh, so we had one, we had an idea of having an annual workshop, which we have done. We have just postponed our seventh, which should have been this month, right now, this weekend, as a matter of fact. Uh, we've postponed it to January because there are a lot of demonstrations and unfortunately things are not calm right now in Haiti. But we, uh, we have had six of these workshops. We do case studies, um, we do a lot of, we break people up into groups, we have them, you know, as you would, something that's unusual down there, but you would do all the time. We have each group working and putting up their solutions on um, uh, uh, newsprint and putting them around the wall and we have discussions like that. We have recently been focusing more because one of the things we're going to be doing is starting micro businesses, making soap and helping local community women to sell their soap, making hand sanitizer to help nurses help their income by selling the hand sanitizer to hospitals. So we have had for the last two years um, man named Kesner Farrell, who is a PhD and is the leading economist in Haiti, who has come to our workshops and is helping nurses understand their role in the Haitian economy. What role they can play, uh, thinking now as business people, as nurses, as a significant part of the economy. We are inviting him to join our board and I hope he says yes, uh, but we were very pleased last year. He said he gave the same presentation he gave to the Haitian parliament, and he said, 
As far as he was concerned, the nurses were a much more receptive group, and they certainly understood what he was saying probably better than the members of parliament, which I don't think was a casual statement of his at all. He was scheduled for a half-hour presentation. He stayed for two hours and um, has sort of offered to be a consultant to the nurses on various kind of micro-businesses as they go forward. The other thing we got focused on, and Deb talked about hand-washing. We, uh, Claudia, until she is now full-time with Nexi, worked in, she was the head of advanced training, nursing training at Jeskip, which is a large clinic, headed by Dr. <coughs> John William Pop. And Dr. Pop is fairly well-known. Jeskill was started to deal with HIV and AIDS in 1980, uh, 1880, I think, was, <laughs> yes. Um, and he is on any number of television programs and short movies and documentaries when people say, what can you do to control infection? He says, wash your hands. Mm -hmm. Just like that, wash your hands. So our Jody Tuck in Montreal said, why don't we begin with doing something very simple, like focusing on hand washing? Good idea. Why is it so? Well, you all know at every hospital, there's signs, there's all kinds of things, there's twice a year reviews or whatever about washing your hands, but it still is not something that's done as regularly or done as thoroughly. I now, I stand around in, in restrooms and watch people washing their hands and I'll get arrested one day for doing that, I'm sure, but it's just fascinating, you know, we all go, and, you know, we learned the whole procedure, which is at least 20 seconds worth of getting everything washed. When we, we were able, Claudia had connection with the director, directrice of nursing care with the Ministry of Health, Dr. Irma, no, she's not a doctor, Madame Irma Bois, and she uh, asked us to conduct a study, which we did. We used World, World Health Organization uh, pre-adapted their surveys, and we have hired Winchelle St. John, who was a young nurse. We hired her right out of nursing school in Lekai, uh, and she went around to, there were 10 regional departments in Haiti. She went to the 10 regional hospitals, plus two additional hospitals, surveyed 501 individuals, and the survey was about hand washing. You know, do you know details about hand washing? What are the reasons that you don't wash your hands? When do you wash your hands, etc., etc. And what we found, uh, there was only one of those 501 people who reported washing her hands regularly in between patients, and etc. Most said there's no water. There's no water near me, so how am I going to wash my hands? I can't, you know, I can't go running. Uh, one of the newest hospitals, Mirabalay, built by Partners in Health, has no sinks in the wards, no sinks near the wards, and no preparation for plumbing to be put in. 
Um, I mean, that's sort of, and when I talked to the nurses there, they said, well, the plan was to have hand sanitizer, which they never got around to having. We were able to, uh, when we did this study and we thought we have to do something about hand washing, uh, and at Puffin, the leadership said, well, if you can find somebody to give hand sanitizers, we'll help to pay for them. We were able to make contact with the DeVita. Uh, uh, DeVita is a dialysis company based in Denver. And one of the things that's been very lucky for me is that the CEO of DeVita was my student at Harvard Business School back in 1983 or 82 or something like that. And so I contacted him and I said, you know, I've been going down to Haiti, you might be interested in dialysis, blah, 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 but we're also interested in hand sanitizer. He put me in touch with the director of their foundation, Lori Veslavic, who we've become wonderful friends, and she got us, amazingly, the Gojo company, which makes the Purell products, the Gojo has been donating hand sanitizer to us for the last four years. Yeah, and then I think it's been four years, uh, which we have distributed to five hospitals so far. They are in process of donating more to to refill everything that we have and to add five more hospitals on. They have tried this before, but they said Nexi is the first organization that has shown them that they can handle these responsibly. When we install these, we have Winchell has been trained and we've written a hand washing manual and she gives instruction in hand washing and she goes back in six months to monitor it they're given instructions about refilling everything about maintenance and use. I have to go back and say what one of the things that got us really focused on this was that Jody Tuck from uh, McGill was invited to Mirabalay to advise on their ICU that they were developing. And she saw one doctor examine 40 patients without changing his gloves. And, yeah, it's pretty, uh, you know, what can you say? As, as one of the doctors that I know down there said, I hope it wasn't a gynecologist. <laughs> Sorry. But at any rate. Um, and what we, one of the things we learned was that people wore their gloves to protect themselves. There was no thought about, the patient, it was no thought about transferring anything to the patient. So we, we, we recognized this was a critical, critical issue. Uh, and so we have been doing hand washing training. Um, it, you know, it, it has tremendous impact, but we haven't been able yet to measure the impact in, in controlling infection because there are no basic statistics about in-hospital infections. Uh, with this next load of um, hand sanitizer that is coming down when we can get it into Haiti, 
Um, we are actually going to work with Mirabelay, who we've had a good relationship, despite them being our bad example. And we are, in <laughs> fact, going to be, uh, with epi you know, the help of epidemiologists, trying to do some pre-data gathering on in-hospital infection, install the hand sanitizers, train people, and then try to measure. I mean, it's, it's a sloppy little pilot study, but it's a first step <coughs> in, in doing that. And again, it sounds so simplistic, but it's, it's what has to be done down there. It is, it, you know, but there is so much benefit. I'm sort of jumping ahead to what, you know, just a, what's almost the conclusion. People like you should be down there helping the nurses work to the very best with what they have. Um, I, that's, that's what I would like to see. I mean, I think that um, Sandy Deb has come down, um, that people from uh, high-resource com countries have so much to bring, so much to learn, and they can contribute so very, very much. So I don't know that I'm making it sound all that appealing. It's not necessarily all that appealing, but the good, the good that you do is so major. I mean, I'm going to stop and just actually, I, in, in just a couple of minutes, because I would love us really to talk. I mean, I can tell various stories, but I would love to ask Patty what her, she was just down at a workshop five years ago, right? I think it was the first one. I was don't it, hear all that no, was it? Was it the first one? Was it the first one? I think it was the first one. Was it, it that been. one in February? Yeah, February of yeah. 2014. Oh yeah. my gosh, we weren't even yeah. us yet. No, then. we weren't you yet. It was still a good workshop. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was a very good workshop. But um, Wow. That was that was in February of 2013. We 14, 14, 14. Yep. We had two workshops that year, um, and that was our that was our first one. Um, let me just tell you a little bit about these micro businesses that we are starting. Uh, one of the women we have working with us is Professor Renee Bota, who is a professor at the University of Denver. And I met her really through Lori Vaslavic, the head of the, the uh, Bridge of Life DeVita Foundation. Uh, and Renee had done, she's done a lot of work in Africa, but she headed, designed and headed a liquid soap micro business <laughs> in Kenya. Uh, it was a very successful business, but they did not get refunding for it. So we are going to be doing this. We're starting it in two communities in Haiti, two slum communities. And I use the word slum because that is the word they use. It's not, I'm not being derogatory. They refer to these as slum communities. Um, not everybody, I mean, they live with shelter. It can be tents. It's, nobody has anything like indoor plumbing, they cook with oil or I think usually with making fires and just put their pans on top of it. Um, they're very poor and they have water 
from a central point, the women go in the morning with pails to a central pump, essentially. Water is delivered three, three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and put in the ground in a tank, which is connected to this pump. And people go in the morning to get there to get water. Soap, they almost don't have any. They can buy soap on the street markets. There is bar soap, but it's pretty harsh. It has lye in it, and it's most of them don't like it. They can buy little bags of powdered soap, which are the, the vendors get big bags of soap and they fill them in some little pink or blue striped bag uh, with powdered soap. Uh, the liquid soap is more expensive than they can possibly afford. This recipe, which is what Renee calls it, is soap. We have made the soap. It's foamy. It's effective. And it's not expensive. Uh, and we are making it. It's a low-tech business, like this, in tubs. Uh, filling bottles. We get the bottles, we get the chemicals for the soap, all from Haiti. We, we source, a, there's a chemical company called Mima, and I can't remember the name of the bottle company right now, but we try to use all Haitian vendors. The only thing we can't get, we do want to have special reward soaps for the women who sell, you know, at a certain point, and we want to have the pump top and there's nobody in Haiti who makes pump tops, so we do have to get that. But we've learned what people want. And the whole, the whole project, as Renee has worked it out, <coughs> is that women in the communities are trained in two things. And we have two manuals in English, Creole, and French um, that one is sales techniques, so they learn how to sell. The other is behavior change and sustaining behavior change. Renee is a professor of global health and behavior change. And one of the problems, again, even when people from high-risk countries go down there, one of the problems is that you know they come in, they change behavior, everybody says, great, that looks like a good thing to do, and they go home, and that's the end. The behavior does not, is not sustained. So Renee's focus is literally to change, to help these women sell their soap, change behavior step by step, actually monitor the behavior change, which they would be doing. We have little handheld computers, but we've been told that we will be making the women vulnerable because people will attack them for the handheld, so they're going to have to do pencil and paper, um, things you just don't even think about. But the hope is to start this, this women will be earning money. They will be each have their own sales territory. It's not a competitive game. Nobody's going to be competing for customers. Everyone will have their own, and they will be responsible for selling to them. I, I can't, I mean, it's a, a detailed program was successful in a slum area, a big slum area uh, in Kenya. And we are ready to go, but right now uh, it's just too dangerous in Haiti and certainly too dangerous in the slum areas 
Um, we've had some community workers in the, in the slum areas, but we can't have the women going out selling. So we're ready to go. Two things we have done. This is, I mean, our whole focus is understanding what's going on down there. We've had focus groups conducted in Creole by a wonderful woman, Vanessa Rivera, who comes from Uruguay. And why she knows Creole, I don't know. But And she is a psychologist, and she conducts the focus groups. And then we have just done a baseline survey with 300 of the women in the two slums we're going into. Uh, and Renee is just beginning to analyze the data. But let me just tell you some of the things we have learned. And we haven't done all the analysis, but it's fascinating. And why you have to really be there to know this. People are asked, you know, when do you wash your hands? The idea, as you know, is to get them to wash after using the toilet, after changing a diaper, before preparing food, before eating food, and to transmit this to the children. When do you wash your hands? They wash their hands, if they have some mechanism to, before they go out. That's maybe the only time they wash their hands. When they go out, they could be touching who knows what once they go outside. But that is it. And that goes with one of the things we found in the baseline survey, which is what, when you use soap, what do you use soap for? The first thing, number one, washing clothes. And you go on the street in Haiti and most people look very beautifully presentable. People care how they look. I had Claudia's Two children have spent some summers with me, and I think her daughter was very upset at me in that I didn't iron her dresses and I didn't iron her clothes. <laughs> I do not iron. I haven't for years. And she, every time I've seen her down there, she is in a beautifully ironed dress. And uh, but I see this. I actually, after after you would, Patty Deb, you would say. Every nurse who comes to our workshop is beautifully dressed. I went shopping after the first workshop. I thought, oh my gosh, I don't, I don't have clothes to compete with these people. They may have one dress. The dean of the nursing school at Notre Dame of Haiti, which is a major nursing school, has worn the same dress to every workshop. It looks spotless and new and crisp. Um, so this is information to begin when the women are learning to change behavior. If, if it's public presentation that drives the cleanliness and washing of clothes, how do we turn that so that they realize the hygiene potential of it? I mean, that's, it's a challenging question. And that's the kind of thing that Renee works on, and it's fascinating. And this is um, another piece of what we are trying to train the nurses to do, which is research. I realize I'm hopping around because I'm trying to get as much as I can in here. But we've actually had experts in quantitative research and experts in qualitative research. Um, 
meet with the women. We have, in fact, conducted with a student of Jody's came down for a semester, gathered data on uh, surgical care, surgical wound care in a hospital in which we had placed hand sanitizers. And that is, he published the article that he wrote, and he is the, the uh, lead author, and the other authors are Haitian. That was getting uh, an article with Haitian nurses in a refereed journal was incredible, and that's another goal. I mean, this is to make everybody recognize that nurses are outstanding and really are health leaders. So is what we're doing, as you can see with this micro-business, is trying to make, well, we have to be careful calling it research project. What did Sandy said we should call it? Quality, quality improvement, quality improvement project. Uh, because there are people who get very fussy about what you call research. But the main thing is to learn and record and disseminate what they are, what they are learning. Um, uh, we also are going to be starting, uh, again, when everything is better, we are going to start micro-business making hand sanitizer. They're basically, I mean, there are people who are mixing up their own, but there's no organized production of hand sanitizer down there, which is crazy. Uh, and we don't want that out in the public yet um, because, as uh, Renee has said, one of the problems here in the U.S. is that there are people who drink hand sanitizer because it's got alcohol in it. As she said, we don't want to bring more problems than they have. But the idea is to produce the hand sanitizer and have the nurses be the saleswoman to the hospitals because so many hospitals and again, it's not going to be expensive, you know, the, these models that, that, and I can't really speak to them because Renee is, is the leader, and you should get Renee to come up here sometime yeah. and, and talk because she's led these projects and is doing more. But to get the hand sanitizer, to not keep getting it donated, but to get some production of it. And hand sanitizer apparently is really easy to make. And we have connection both with Rumbabancourt and a member of the same family that owns Rumbabancourt who produces bitters. And the producing of rum, bitters, everything else results in enormous amounts of leftover alcohol, which they've never known what to do with. They are going to be donating it free of charge, just giving us 90%, it's 90% it's whatever alcohol alcohol and you just need 60% so we it's dilutable um, at any rate I feel like we've been very lucky but it is the it's the incredible combination of these extraordinary women and by the way we have many more nurses now who are people that Claudia has worked with so we now have much more of a team of Haitian nurses who are working together with us uh, to make all of these plans come true. Uh, uh, 
we just need the government and you know we, we need the police the government and everything else to get some i mean to we needed a whole new government down there <laughs> is the issue i mean this has been repeated for years and years and that's the only thing that's holding us up right now claudia's um election as a ashoka fellow is extraordinary because it uh and ashoka which is a uh, uh, international organization. They send out a big uh, fundraising brochure at this time of year, and she will be one of, I think, four new Ashoka Fellows that is featured in it. It should be very promising for us if the environment allows us to continue doing what we have been doing. So um, I really hope and would encourage all of you when things are a little better. We are available. Come down, join us. Um, we have very safe accommodations and a fabulous driver, fabulous security person. You will be safe. Be safe. I mean, you, yeah. yes, and you'll have an amazing, amazing, amazing time. So let me stop so we can have some discussion. And can I ask you to please talk fairly loudly because I don't have hearing aids yet, but I don't here as well as I should. I just want to follow up a little bit. Um, Be a lot. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, um, just just to sort of follow up a little bit. This this truly is a rewarding experience. I was a little nervous when I went down there because I don't speak French or Creole, but there are translators available or interpreters, I guess. And um, it really was a rewarding experience. And the thing that I just want to really reiterate is that we take our lead from the Haitian nurses. We are not going down there to tell them what to do. And as Barb described some of the situations, I mean, we don't know what's going on on the ground there. For example, even the current unrest in, uh, in Port-au-Prince. Port Port How would we know the extent of that without talking to Claudia and her saying, now's not a good time? Um, or how could we, you know, sort of figure out, wait a minute, like the, the whole water thing. I mean, yeah, bring them so, wait, no, no water. So again, taking the lead from them is, I think, why this is such a great initiative and why it's working. The sustainability, how could we have sustainability if we didn't have folks there at the point of care helping guide us? Right. So I think that's really something that's different, at least about Nexi. And um, Don, I'm going to look to you because you've been down to Haiti as well with a different group. Do you have the same sort of um, foundation in that you take the lead from them, or do you got, go down there with a specific focus? Um, well, it's probably a little bit of a hybrid uh, okay. model, because the focus wasn't necessarily, the mission isn't quite the same, uh, and that is to necessarily educate the nurses there. We were supplementing care there. Uh, the mission of the group INI, International Nurses Incorporated, they're out of Rhode Island, um, that went with, it's a nurse-driven trip. Uh, it's nurse practitioners who organized the program um, or the organization, a nonprofit, uh, many years ago. And their initial mission was to serve the entire island of Hispaniola, uh, both the Haiti side and the Dominican side. Um, in and originally, we could go directly into Haiti, um, but then as Haiti had political breakdown um, and then the earthquake, uh, just potentiated really what happened there politically. 
um, it became dangerous for us to go to Haiti for a number of years. So what we did was backdoored it, and we would actually go to the Dominican. That's how we actually got through the, even the U.S. Um, um, ambassadors and whatnot. We would go through uh, the Dominican, and then we would work our way up along the border, up into, uh, we would stay on the Dominican side. Las Tiranas, Tiranas is um, the area that we went to. But the people of Haiti, we could get the message out that we were there. And we went and set up clinics. So we did, the last time I went, 21 clinics in 19 days. Uh, we traveled in very run-down pickup trucks. Um, we saw uh, almost 20,000 people between both countries. Um, there were 42 of us who went, all nurses. Uh, I think the last trip was about nine nurse practitioners. Um, and then the rest of us were nurses, and at the time, we even were able to bring uh, senior nursing students, and it was their community <coughs> rotation, which was a, a global uh, yeah. community rotation that was phenomenal. I mean, how do you capture 19 days and what we saw? And the stories are the same. Uh, no running water, no electricity, <coughs> stories that we, we would not have enough time to talk about today. Um, that, as a seasoned practitioner myself, were, was mind-blowing. I, I did read ahead that was... I will never, I mean, I literally, there was a bucket so that I could vomit and then return to debriding the head. I mean, it was just something I've never seen because it was, the woman's head was so infested. Um, so two different focuses. Yeah, so it was a little bit different outcomes. focus at the education, but boy, the stories are very similar and the people are just amazing. And again, going down there, but again, what's needed on the ground. And it was on the ground. That's what we did. I mean, a 23-year-old, approximately 23-year-old man that they brought in from the fields, who clearly had some sort of a lung mass. He had no, I mean, you have no technology. There's nothing. We're miles from any kind of an institution that could help him and likely didn't survive. What's the mission? Like, we knew we were not going to be able to save this young right. man. So we provided the best we could. And that was we brought and we cargoed our own, um, we were our own contained fundraising. Um, we collected our own supplies our families and friends, we did networking, and we brought down, if you go, you bring a 50-pound a suitcase of supplies of your own, and then your own suitcase to make it through the 19 days, so, and it, they tell you what to bring, and we brought vitamins, and, and we even brought um, blood pressure medications that aren't used, I mean, there's no regulation, and it was, the practitioners handled all that, but. It's really getting oh, back to me. basics. Oh, so anyway, it that's... just reminded me, and I, the per person at Dartmouth that, that I have not mentioned, and I am, is Dr. Brian Remillard, who you may, may or may not know, but during the earthquake, he brought down a couple of portable um, dialysis machines, which the, 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 the story would be, but it doesn't stop there, after he left, nobody really knew how to use them, and you know there have been pictures of these rusted things that are lying around. But if I can boast about Nexi, we got Brian connected to Lori Vaslavic with the Vita Dialysis Foundation, and yeah, they set up the first acute dialysis, still functioning clinic at Mirabalay Hospital, and Brian went down and worked with Dr. Cleofat, who is a nephrologist and is the chief of staff down there, 
and this is still functioning. Uh, and Brian has been, uh, He's you know, still extraordinary. Here, you, been, is, you know, the thing, the thing that was so amazing was when he went down there just with something and left it, nobody knew what to do with it. But they went down and DeVita does a full training and this is all, you know, it didn't cost Mirabile or Partners in Health anything. DeVita pays for this and it's extraordinary. Um, one of the big problems setting up dialysis, by the way, down here is not enough water. Right. Finding a site, Mirabile had dug three wells, so they were able to. Anyway, I, I'm sorry I interrupted, but I just well, realized I didn't mention Brian, and he's been critically. And he he has been down several times, but on one of his trips, he actually went down. Some of you may remember Miriam Dowling, who was our clinical nurse specialist in critical care, and she actually went down with him on one of the trips to help teach the nurses. So again, a, another partnership. But I do want to say that for folks who went down at the uh, at the time of the earthquake and after. More than, and most of those were, um, many, not all, many were physicians, but um, a colleague of mine who's a nurse went down, and really what he said to me when he got back is, although it's great to have the docs down there doing what they do best, what he, he and he's a, a nurse, he felt that nurses really were the ones who were really looking at the big picture and really helping to do those things in between whatever surgeries or whatever needed to be done, but holding patients' hands, being with someone who was alone. Um, he really felt that nurses would have made, it's all of his opinion, but a really big difference at the point of care and on the ground because they were able to look at the, yes. what the, the, the largest community health needs were at that time. And when you look at needs assessments, when we look at needs assessments, they really are being done by the nurses on the ground to, and again, helping us take the lead with them so that we're providing the best well, one of my favorite stories about Claudia, and I hope you're listening, Claudia, uh, is that after the earthquake, Mass General Hospital sent down the full everything to set up a field hospital. They sent down a group of doctors with it, but no, none of the doctors spoke French, which was a little difficult to get people to work collaboratively to set this up. So... I guess Dr. Pop identified Claudia, and she essentially managed in 24 hours to direct all these people. She speaks French and English, and she got, she's a nurse, she got the field hospital all set up, and this was in Port-au-Prince, and made a huge difference. Uh, and none of the people sent from the U.S. were able to, to get that accomplished. And I think, I mean, to me, that's one of the most extraordinary things that she did. Uh, so, anyway, uh, just a couple of more comments. Any thoughts? questions or comments? Or? I, I have a comment. I remember this very distinctly <clears throat> from my time down there. Um, one of the nurses made the comment that nurses in Haiti were victims twice when the earthquake happened. The first time with the earthquake and the second time when nurses came down from other countries and pushed them out of the way didn't show them how to do it, didn't give them the education, did their nursing thing, and then left. And left them in that same situation of, well, now you've given us all these supplies, but we have no idea how to use them. And that particular comment has stuck with me for, what, five and a half years now? That's such a good point. I think so, it's stuck with it, yeah. all, of us. all of us. Yes. That, yeah. Um, that's amazing that you remember, because that's, that's, 
I mean, that encapsulates what we are trying to challenge, I think, somewhat successfully. Um, that's, thank you, Patty. You don't have to run away to a class. <laughs> thank you, Patty. Anybody else? Um, you were talking about um, how, like, people will go to get their water in the morning. Can you speak right. Oh, sorry. Yes. You're talking about, like, in people's homes, how the women will go and get the water once per day in the morning. Is that clean water that you're talking about? Or yes. This is delivered. Um, I, I, now, this is something I still don't know. They really are not public services. Uh, there are water companies, but they're all private. There are sanitation companies, but they're all private. There's not public services. Um, but this is clearly public or publicly delivered. I presume the government, oh, this is why I wish Claudia were connected. So, uh, so it is clean. It's potable water. It's clean water. But it's... You know, it's delivered three times a week. You have a lot of people drawing on it. Um, and there's not, you know, there's not resources where you can get clean water. It's, you know, there. it's, and, and just a minor thing too, the women can't go out until it's well light, well lit, daylight. They can't go out earlier because it's dangerous and they, you know, in their own communities, so that they're they're limited. Uh, that's another interesting fact. Nurses are uh, shifts are switched. You don't stay on a shift, but the nursing shifts are seven a.m. seven to one, one to seven, and then seven to seven, seven p.m. to seven a.m. So no one has to go out during the night, go home during the night, <coughs> but. Those are shifted so that nobody is on a 12-hour shift all the time. It's just a whole different way of thinking about how you deliver services. Everything is. Uh, but in so many cases, they do make it work. But yes, the, the example of <clears throat> being that, that, that Patty mentioned really is the one with people coming down not listening, so it's not just getting people from here to go down, but don't come down with, you know, and say, you know, this is this is how we do it, and you're not doing it right, and then go home two weeks later. Um, that's not helpful either. It's really listening to them. And I will tell you, they're so smart and so capable. They just knock me out completely. It's... Uh, this is the most exciting thing I've done in my life. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I, what can I say? It's great to find a retirement job that <laughs> does this. <laughs> anyway, thank you so thank much. You, this is, thank you, Deb. So much. I do have Barbara's cards, and I have Sandy Soho's card. So if at some point you want to ask a question that you may not have right now, or want to get more involved with Nexie, just you know, I, I've got the cards and. Uh, and we are going to get in touch. One of the big problems down there is that all of us nonprofits are in, we're trying to break it, but it's little silos. Nobody talks. She talked about clinics. We're thinking about community clinics, all nurse-run clinics. 
Well, we have to talk, the different kinds, but we have ideas that we can be sharing. We have resources we can be sharing. It's very frustrating. Everybody, well, everybody's, you know, kind of keeping their resources to themselves. They don't mm -hmm. want to share them. It's crazy. Thank, Thank you, everyone, thank for you. coming. We appreciate it.